you know, I think a lot of it is it's it's about exposure. You know, that's 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 pretty much what it is. And as you said, like it's all about you know, like we can't possibly know everything about every culture. Um, but if you're open to learning and you're open to listening, then there's you know there's a world of things that you can learn. This week on Dirty Linen, we are talking about racism against Asians, and that's such a big topic. And there's so much to say about it. And one person that I know who thinks a lot about it is Deb Ong. Deb is a chef. She's originally from Singapore. She came to Melbourne to study anthropology at Melbourne Uni in 2004. And as so many people do, they fall in love with the hospitality industry and things start to take a different turn. Uh, she's super thoughtful and I love following her on Twitter where you know she posts things that really uh, make me think and I know she's so passionate and has met much stuff to say. So welcome to Dirty Lynn and Deb. It's so great to have you here. Hi, thanks, Danny. It's lovely to be here. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're up to now, because I know you work as a chef, but there's more to you, isn't there? Yeah, so um, I'm working part-time in a, in a cafe in, in um, the inner west. I've just worked there as a sous chef part-time. And uh, I've just finished a postgrad diploma in nutrition. And I'm looking to hopefully start a PhD in a couple of weeks, a couple of months um, in food literacy. Wow, that's fantastic. So what's your what's your aim with food literacy and the PhD? Uh, I kind of really want to look at, at food policy and helping people understand more about food systems and making good choices. I think that's that kind of sums it up really. Oh, that's such a big topic. And I mean, I think so many people have had cause to think about food systems through the pandemic. We've just, you know, been... Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so many people have been confronted about, you know, this... Or, you know, just being forced to think about where their food comes from in a way that they perhaps haven't ever in their lives. So really ripe time for you to dig in there and create some change. Yeah, definitely is. Um, So let's get into it uh, because there is so much to talk about. And let's start by talking about kitchen culture and the way that different kinds of discriminations can intersect. Yeah, that, I think it's a good place to start. Um, yeah, I guess kitchen culture, I mean, you've, you've talked about it on your program before, you know, things like misogyny and um, lots of um, other things. It's, it can be quite a boys club sometimes. Um, and, you know, like being a, being a girl um, in, a, in a very male-dominated environment um, can be quite um, can be quite scary sometimes and, um, you know, you kind of just want to fit in, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that discrimination kind of flows into things like race and, um, and, and even sexuality sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I mean, how, how you, so you have you experienced that misogyny and racism to be intertwined or is it, are you able to? Yeah, they tend to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I still remember when I was a commie, I was working in a, in a Haddock restaurant in the city. Um, and, you know, like I was the only girl and I was also kind of the only East Asian person in the kitchen. And, in a lot of ways, I, f- I find myself quite privileged in the sense that I grew up speaking English. And so um, we talk a lot about proximity to whiteness. 
um, you know, where you kind of speak English and you know a lot about Western culture and you know how to behave, um, you know, in sort of Western environments. So I kind of had that privilege. And um, I think the South Asian boys um, copped it a lot more um, with regards to racism. There, there were two South Asian boys um, working in the kitchen with me. One was um, one was in Lada. He was a chef de party and one was a kitchen hand. So um, the kitchen hand was kitchen hand was slightly darker skinned. Um, he was I think he was Pakistani, um, and the other guy who was working a ladder. He was you know probably a, a bit more um, Westernized. He spoke English quite well, um, and it was just quite obvious the different ways that they were treated. And it wasn't just about you know the fact that one was a chef and one was one was a kitchen hand. The the, the guy who was working as a kitchen hand was actually also a qualified chef, um, and he was constantly dangled this position in larder, but he was never given the opportunity. Uh, yeah, and um, you know also the way that that the boys spoke to him as well. It was just it just wasn't nice. It wasn't you know um, it was very disrespectful sometimes. And you know he was married with a child. So he was older than the rest of the boys. Um, and they sometimes kind of treated him almost like a dog, which was not nice at all. And, you know, watching this from the outside and, you know, being in that kind of commie position, I didn't really feel like I was in the position to say anything as well. Um, you know, and you just end up with this kind of really shitty feeling because you feel like you're complicit, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like you're in an incredibly difficult position. I guess, you know, witnessing something like that is diminishing, but I guess also feeling like you were, yeah, you have this proximity to whiteness, as you put it, but there, you, there's also must have been this feeling that, you know, you could be marginalised in a way as well. Um, and you use this, um, we were chatting by email earlier and you use this term, the Assimilation Olympics, and this um, way that racism can pit ethnic minorities against each other is is that is this sort of what you're getting at with this with this story yeah it's a little bit like that um you know you kind of because you you feel you already know that you're on the outer i mean you look different and you know really all you want is to be part of the team and to be part of you know the club whatever it is um and so maybe mostly subconsciously you kind of want people to tell you oh you know you're one of the good ones you know we'll keep you <laughs> um yeah and you you kind of subconsciously end up pitting people against each other in that way um yeah you know i mean i've had people tell me oh you know uh asians are so you know i don't i can't stand asian customers blah 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 oh you know but you're one of the good ones so you know you're all right and you know that's there's something very intrinsically wrong with that statement. <laughs> oh, it's disgusting. I mean, it's it's absolutely, you know, deeply prejudiced and ignorant. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, understandably, it comes from a good place. You know, you think it's a compliment, um, but it really isn't because you're putting down an entire group of people based on, you know, very different, um, what's the word? Uh set of standards yeah mm. I guess you could say um I'd like to come back to those ideas around Asian customers and those stereotypes the stereotyping that you're talking about but can we just just 
I suppose what you're talking about with some of those backhanded, you know, so-called compliments that are actually deeply insulting, it's, is, is that a, I mean, is that a microaggression? Is that simply aggressive? I mean, um, yeah, what, what do you, what do you think? And we hear this term microaggressions, like what do you think, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, there was an author that said, you know, racism or microaggressions are, you know, like death by a thousand cuts, right? You know, you kind of don't really feel them sometimes. Um, and sometimes they really hurt like paper cuts. You know, they're really, really tiny and people like, ah, you know, it's just a small thing, but it really hurts um, sometimes. And, you know, like backhanded compliments are one, are one example. Um you know, things like, oh, you know, um, you speak really good English. It's like, yeah, I know, but I've been speaking it my whole life. You know, oh, you know, that's not what I meant. It's like, oh, well, you know, it is what you meant. You assume that I didn't speak English because of the way I look. Um, you know, and I used to think as a migrant, I was like, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, people are just ignorant. You know, that's fine. I, You know, there's no way that they know that we all speak English in Singapore. You know, but then the more I think about it, you know, the more I'm like, wait a second, you know, like people look at me, I could very easily be, you know, Asian Australian, um, you know, and those and those assumptions just then don't fit at all. And that's not fair to someone who might have grown up in this country, you know, and has been speaking English since they, you know, started talking. You know, yeah, you know, and things like microaggressions, they, they really deeply affect your sense of belonging, um, you know, and your sense of um, self-confidence as well. Yeah. Is it that you would find yourself, uh, like you're sort of second-guessing yourself or are you? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. You know, pretty much kind of like, you know, you, what's a good example? Um, Yeah, I've been in Australia for 14 years or 17 years actually. Um, you know, and I've kind of come to a point where I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I consider myself Australian. I, you know, I, I love this country. I love the people. I feel like I've been accepted by the community, um, you know, and then let's say, for example, one day at work, you know, someone comes up to me and says something like, oh, you know, um, where are you from? Uh, or not, not, well, not so much where are you from, but, you know, more like, do you speak English? You know, and then you just kind of start second guessing yourself and like, well, will I ever be accepted as an Australian if I, you know, if I, if I, yeah, if I'm, if I'm not white, <laughs> I was trying not to say that, but, <laughs> you know, but that is the reality. That is the reality of the situation. Yeah. I, um, I think we've got to go yeah, there. You know, got to, you got to call it out. And it, it, it makes me think of um, the Thick Accents Project, which we've chatted about recently on the podcast yes. with Lorena Corso. That was a good one. Uh, great. Yeah, I think Lorena is amazing and she's working with Ilanette Bard, who we've also had on Dirty Linen with their Thick Accents Project, which is, I guess, to take ownership of this idea that you've got an accent and to celebrate it and, you know, we don't all have to look the same or sound the same. And it's actually how great is it that we don't all look the same and oh, sound the same? Oh, it's amazing. You know, it's so great. You know, like Multiculturalism is something that, you know, Australia can benefit so much from, you know, there, there's so many different ideas and perspectives that, that can help make Australia a better place. You know, we should be embracing it, not, you know, not be scared of it. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I know that 
it is every it's every individual's job to get educate themselves and you know in that sense deb i you know i have this this little um check and balance in myself saying you know is it even okay to ask you to explain racism to to me and to our audience is that just um you know giving giving extra weight to you know the burden that you're carrying unfairly um how do you feel about that here I go asking you, putting, a, putting another little burden on you. No, but I, I do appreciate that you actually do think that because I think um, it is an unfair burden for a lot of people, but there are some people that are happy to do it. Um, and it's important that they are asked as well because you're not always in the right emotional state or you're not always in the right mental state to deal with these questions, you know, but if it's a safe space, you know, and I feel safe with you, so I really appreciate, um, you know, um, the work that you do as well, um, providing a safe space to talk about these things, um, then I think it's okay to ask mm. in, in a respectful way, obviously. Um, yeah, because how else are we going to learn, you know? And I, and I say we because I have a lot of things to learn as well, you know. Um, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, Just I because, mean, yeah. I do too, you know, like I, I guess, you know, we, um, you know, it's called systemic racism because we're all embedded in, in systems. And, you know, I guess, you know, I would certainly say for, for myself, you know, it's like there's, there's stuff that I need to unpick or I try to unpick over the years and, and always do better and always try to see things from, from other people's perspectives and yeah, just always keep learning and being open. So yeah. Uh, I certainly don't come to this conversation, um, put myself, you know, uh, at any kind of pedestal, but I just, I think it, it's great to be able to have these conversations with people who, who want to have them. Um, I think it's important to, to air the issues and, and hopefully they do, um, yeah, just help people just consider what belief systems they're embedded in and it's it's not it's not because they're a bad person it's like yeah we, exactly we all grow up we all grow up in culture yeah um, oh, that's right yeah what you mentioned this asian customer stereotyping and uh, i know that this has actually changed your behavior in some ways can you talk about that yeah um i mean you know like i've worked in hospitality for more than 10 years i've i've front of house experience and back of house experience as well and and i guess you know um a lot of things have happened in Melbourne in the last 10 years. You know, we get a lot more people from China coming in, for example, or, you know, people from Korea. Uh, and a lot of these people have a lot of money and, and also come from very different cultural backgrounds, right? So it's quite a common um, misunderstanding that a lot of these customers are... Um, are difficult to deal with um, in the city. And this is quite a common thing among hospitality. I've had wait staff complain to me. I've had other chefs complain to me, you know, in workplaces that I've been in the city. And, you know, a lot of this comes from the fact that in Asia, um, hospitality is very different, right? In, in cafes and restaurants here, a lot of places have a very set opera uh, operational procedure. You know, people come in, you know, they, you take them to a table, you give them glasses of water, you give them a menu, you, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's kind of a checklist of, of um, the way things happen. That doesn't exist in Asia. 
uh, or in a lot of places in Asia. Um, if you've ever been to Yamcha <laughs> and how chaotic it can be sometimes, that's pretty much very similar to the kind of service that we get back home. So if you don't raise your hand, no one's going to really come and attend to you. Um, uh, and that's kind of the mentality that a lot of Asian people have when they go to a Western dining um, restaurant or a cafe. Um, you know, the minute they sit down, they put up their hand and they want to order. And a lot of waitresses or waiters will get annoyed because they're like, oh, you know, we just sat you down, you know, what do you mean you want to order? You haven't even had your coffee yet. Um, you know, or people will come and they don't, um, they don't really understand English, can't really read the menus. And they're like, oh, you know, there are no pictures. Um, and then they try and order from their phones. I've actually seen customers try and order off Instagram. <laughs> Um, you know, but it's, you know, it's just because, you, you, especially if you come as a tourist, you know, you, you don't know the language and you can't speak English and you're trying to find a way to communicate, which is, you know, completely, completely fair, right? I mean, and you, you know, and then you flip the tables around and you're like, well, you know, like Australian, Australian, American, you know, English people go to Asia for holidays and they expect you know, they don't learn Thai or they don't learn Chinese and they don't, you know, they don't speak these languages when they go to the local restaurants and order food, but they expect the locals to be able to speak English to them. Um, you know, and it's a bit of a double standard. Yeah, I mean, I fully have a picture in my mind of, of, of sitting in, at a izakaya in, in Tokyo and looking through the restaurant's Instagram to point to things. So I, I don't, yeah, and I think any... Um, any waiter that's listening to this that, you know, I mean, isn't this an opportunity to create greater understanding? You know, anyone that's had someone explain to them for, you know, in five minutes, if that, that, you know, this is why this person might be acting like this, or, you know, this is why this seems, you know, this is their behavior might seem unusual to you, but this is why, I mean, that's pretty simple to understand. And then it's just like, okay, so how do we, um, how do we help these people spend our money with us? Like, what is the problem? You know, I mean, that's that's the professional way to, to look at it, right? Because, I, I, you know, I like to see front of house people as problem solvers, right? You know, they're, they're the bridges, right, between between the customer and the kitchen. And you're there to facilitate the, the dining experience. Um, and, you know, I just feel it's very unprofessional when you, you know, complain about things that are really not their fault. Um, yeah, and so as a customer, like my husband and myself, I mean, we're both Asian, and uh, we've noticed... Um, you know, a very unpleasant shift um, in in um, the treatment that we get as diners when we go into the city. Um, and yeah, you know, because we both have front of house experience, we know what is professional and what isn't. We understand that you have to make a lot of snap ju judgments when you're on the job. Um, and stereotypes do exist. It's, 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 that's the reality of the situation. Like, you know, that's how human beings think and that's fine. But when you, when those stereotypes are proven to be untrue for certain people, then you should change the way you act towards them. Um, and that's where we found that there was an issue because people were putting us in this box, like, oh, Asians are diff difficult customers. And then the level of service we get is very much diminished. And we can see from the way that the same waiter or the waitress, um, you know, treats different tables. And you can see that there's a very stark difference where we're basically getting very minimal service and very minimal um, attention, which, you know, as a diner is not very, not a very nice experience. 
It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's not hospitality. I mean, it's no. really, I, I think it's, it's really shocking and so disappointing. And I think anyone listening to this would think, well, this is not the Australian hospitality world that we want to be in. Um, and it's also, it puts you in the position, you know, the horrible position of trying to differentiate yourself from, uh, a group that you, you, you know, it's for you to create this, this, deepened sense of otherness where it's like, well, yes, I'm Asian, but I'm not those Asians. And it's, and you, not that you should be thinking about those Asians in, you know, in any kind of inferior way anyway. It's like, it, it just puts, it puts that weight on you to, to solve somebody else's problem and to, edu- and to educate in the moment when actually what you're trying to do is spend money with the business and have a nice yeah. time. Correct. Um, you know, like my husband's, my husband's lovely, you know, he's really friendly, really talkative. He's, you know, off the bat, he's always asking, you know, waiters, you know, how your day is and, you know, how's service and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, like sometimes the cold responses that we get just doesn't make, you know, just don't make sense. It's like, well, we're trying to be friendly, you know, and we spend money, we order multiple glasses of wine, we always order heaps of food. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's not like we're being stingy or, you know, asking for anything unreasonable. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it is a little bit disappointing. I mean, it's, I, you know, I think we like to think of the Australian hospitality, hospitality industry as diverse and um, of a high standard and welcoming and, you know, we celebrate many different cuisines. There's a lot of um, interpolation of cuisines, you know, cr- create a lot of exciting dishes exciting exciting experiences and you know there's so much there's so many places to go I guess you know the the um the in, the food that has already been here for you know millennia hasn't really been uh brought into the mainstream in a meaningful way there's so much work to do with that um but you know how do you think Australia generally is doing with multicultural dining as a celebration of that you know is it you know where 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 are we going I think it's going in a good direction. Um, I mean, you know, you just look at the number of hatted restaurants and there are a lot more, there's a lot more diversity now than there was, let's say, 10 years ago. So, you know, like that's a good thing. Um, you know, and food is always going to be the easiest way to introduce yourself to any kind of culture. Um, and so the dining scene is obviously, uh, I guess, a good um, indicator of, of, of how... Um, more diverse Australia is getting. Um, I guess the question is is how is how deep that multiculturalism actually goes, and whether it's just a surface thing. Um, is it? I think I think the direction that that we need to move towards is, um, I guess, taking taking the idea of fine dining and and starting to make it a bit more democratic, if that makes any sense. Because, you know, like traditionally fine dining, if you think of fine dining, you think, you know, very Eurocentric, you know, you think, oh, you know, individual plates, um, you know, um, very kind of um, French, um, European settings, um, not so much casual dining, not so much sharing and communal, uh, communal eating. Um, and I feel that, you know, if you really truly want to embrace um, the diversity of food, you really need to start looking at different philosophies of eating. Because, um, 
you know, like Jock said something last year during MasterChef, um, something about how Asian food doesn't lend itself um, well to fine dining. I remember hearing that and going, wait a second, you know, like we've, we've got so many different kinds of fine dining in Asia. We've got royal, you know, we have royal cuisines in Cambodia and Thailand and, and Laos. Um, Absolutely. I mean, Kaiseki cuisine. I mean, there's so many examples of high, like incredibly refined Asian yeah, styles ex- of dining. Exactly. You know, and it's almost as if those techniques and the techniques are amazing. I mean, as someone who who is trained in Western techniques, like I look at some of the Asian techniques and I'm like, you know, my, like my mind is blown because it's it's so intricate and it's so delicate, you know, and yet somehow it's it's almost classed as not um, not fine enough. Yeah. Um, it- yeah. That's imperialism really, isn't it? I mean, yes, um, it really is. It's, yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I, I keep harking back to Japanese cuisine in this conversation, I suppose, because that's where I felt my ineptness the most just in terms of appreciating the subtleties of what is being put in front of me, where it's just, you know, that there would be seven different types of shoyu in a sauce and, you know, I just uh, th- that things are uh, things are um boiled in different broths for different lengths of time and then put together and i just feel like wow there is so much going on here and it's like you know me trying to even hear the tones in a tonal language such as mandarin it's like i feel like i am not smart and subtle and attuned enough to appreciate this and i think it's that it's it's almost that it, it, i guess with all of these kinds of things is it is it a lot about understanding that you come from a place of ignorance and that there is always more to learn and appreciate and that if you think that a cuisine isn't refined or fine then perhaps you just need to look a bit harder or learn a bit more yeah like you know i think a lot of it is it's it's about exposure you know that's 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 pretty much what it is and as you said like it's all about you know, like we can't possibly know everything about every culture. Um, but if you're open to learning and you're open to listening, then there's, you know, there's a world of things that you can learn. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about um, Japanese food because, I mean, out of all the Asian cuisines, like the Jap- you know, the Japanese cuisine is probably the one that has lent itself the best to, you know, um, Western sense of fine dining. Just because, you know, of the fact that it's, um, it can, uh, what am I talking about? <laughs> Especially you're talking about things like kaiseki and things like um, um, making, you know, the sushi masters, you know, it's all very individual. Um, yeah, it's all very individual. And so it kind of lends itself well. And that's why, you know, Minai Mishima is, you know, has got three hats because it, it kind of lends itself very well to those philosophies of, of thinking about food. Um, you know, whereas you, you look at the rest of Asia, you look at curries and you look at, um, you know, laksas and that sort of stuff. People are like, oh, you know, that's street food. But there's so much more um, that you haven't seen just because we, you know, I guess Asians feel that there isn't much of a market. I don't know what it is, but um, it's almost as if they're scared to bring it over because they think they can't sell it, which is a bit sad. <laughs> Well, it is, it is, it is really sad. And if I think about Luxa, I mean, that is a, yeah, that's just a journey all on its own. I mean, it's, a, and it's many different journeys. I remember going around 
Penang and just trying lots of different luxes and just being absolutely blown away. And that is, yeah, with those incredible layers of flavor that, yeah, I just feel like, well, I don't have the the flavor memory or the knowledge to to unpick this, but I know like with every spoonful I am just infused with this incredible skill, knowledge and culture that, I mean, I can taste it you know, and I can admire it and, it, yeah, watching people make those dishes, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a blur of skill and knowledge and, um, yeah, just heritage that I really, feel really privileged to experience. But I, I know that I'm, yeah, barely at the beginning of understanding a dish like that. Oh, like, you know, even I'm barely at the beginning. I like, I love making laksa. It's one of the things that I love to do. And it's, you know, and it's such a giving dish and it's, you know, and it's so complex in its flavors. People are like, oh, you know, it's just soup noodles. It's like, no, there's so much that goes in there. There's so much balancing that's involved. There's so much skill, um, you know, and I'm still trying to, you know, perfect my family recipe laksa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like Australia is really you know, has a great opportunity to do so much better in this space. You know, there are so many people from from different places and with different traditions living here together. I mean, do you think that we do have a really good opportunity to, I guess, dismantle some of the racism that is inherent in our society through the way that we engage with food? Yeah, you know, like I, I really do think that Australia has has a very unique opportunity in this space and time just because of, of, of its location where it is. It's, it's, you know, it's not part of Europe. And so, yes, it does have a lot of um, influence uh, from there um, because we have a lot of European migrants in, in Australia. But there are also so many migrants from so many different other places who have the opportunity to influence the way that we think and the way that we eat um, and the way that we dine um, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. I mean, because... It's just that openness, isn't it? Yeah, like, it really is. We're all here. Like, exactly. Let's, 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 let's eat, let's listen. Let's have let's, a conversation. <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, people, you know, it's a cliche to say that food connects us, but it's, I suppose it's like, what do we do next after we've eaten the food you know we've loved the laksa we've slurped the noodles you know we've had the lamajun we've um you know whatever whatever it is we've had the kaiseki like what next or or what or, or how like what is the what are the other ways of eating and appreciating that food that actually connects us to the people whose heritage is bound up in creating it and how does that make society a better place Oh, there's so many packed. So many things packed in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not asking you to answer that. But it. It just. But there must be something. There must be. This must be a path that we can travel together to create to create change. All of us. You know. Yeah. Like, you know. Look, I think conversation is a good place to start. You know, uh, which is where we are at this point in time. Um, you know, but I think really sort of critically thinking and dismantling the way we prize um certain restaurants and certain ways of eating um you know like looking at looking at the whole um institution of hatted restaurants right i mean the fact that we're not connected with michelin is actually a really great thing 
because we have that opportunity to redefine, um, you know, what is fine dining? You know, does it necessarily have to be, you know, um, in a certain kind of restaurant, you know, with, with plated food and, and, you know, with, with a certain kind of wine list or a certain kind of, um, you know, I don't know, a certain kind of menu. Can it, can it be communal? I mean, you look at, you look at the, the Haddad restaurants and I guess your, your more Asian style communal eating are kind of all restricted to your one hat because they're always looked at as casual. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, you know, but when you understand that a lot of Asian, um, Asian fine dining is communal, then it kind of takes you to another place because then you're like, oh, you know, you can actually eat this way and consider it as refined. I, 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 I don't know if I'm making any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it, I think we have it's these kinds of issues. Like there's so much in it, as you say, and I feel like we do need to sort of circle around it until we we sort of land on something. And there's no one place to land. There's a whole bunch of different places, you know, that we'll keep landing and and just keep, I guess, you know, threading and unthreading and tying and untying and you know, hopefully moving forward with you know respect and 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 dignity dignity and um and greater understanding i mean i think i think everything you're saying makes a whole heap of sense and i think basically it's just about it's about respecting culture it, you know no matter what culture it is and appreciating it on its own terms it's definitely my my um you know my basic philosophy is of restaurant criticism is what is the place trying to do do they succeed in doing it? And I think that's, I guess, the short way of saying what you're saying in a way where it's like um, cuisines and restaurants don't have to compete on any terms other than their own um, and they can be appreciated for their own project, not um, because we impose these um uh, that we impose a definition of, of fine dining or, you know, of what it means to be a great restaurant. It's, um, yeah, it's just like, is it good, basically? <laughs> they shouldn't need to conform to a pattern of doing things. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, like, I mean, there's some chefs, there's some Asian chefs that are doing amazing things. You know, you think of, you know, places like Sunda, you think of places like Anchovy, um, you know, but is it necessary to... and chefs use this word a lot and I really dislike it. Do, is there really a need to elevate the food? <laughs> does it really need that? <laughs> you know, I, and what does it mean to elevate anyway? You know, that in itself is such a, a loaded word <laughs> because it implies, yeah, it implies a lot of other things. Well, it's a brilliant question. And um, when we were speaking, you know, like last month about, um, about sexism and about about women. I mean, we often have this notion of the, you know, the male chef who uh, elevates his mother's or his, or his grandmother's cuisine and turns it into something else. And I think that 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 sort of diminishes where where that food came from. There was nothing wrong with it. It didn't need, as you say, it didn't need fixing. You know, it was what it was, and um, it's not now improved. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's a word that needs to be used really carefully as well. And and honestly, here again, I'll say that I think I've I'm guilty of um of framing 
restaurant food like like that. Um, and it's something I try to be more careful about now. Um, but yeah, we're we're all on a journey. Um, Deb, I really really thank you for for coming coming on this journey too and um, sharing your experience and, and insights. I think you're, you're such a great thinker about about all this stuff. Um, and I'm really excited that you're diving back into academia to, um, yeah, give us more food for thought. Oh, it's so terrifying. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed having this chat. It's, um, it's been good. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you so much. I know it's going to make a lot of people think. Um, and yeah, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Deb. Thank you so much, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.